Before go, joining BitCasa, Brian, I know I'm going to screw this up. That's all right. <laughs> oh, my last name? Yeah. Taptech. Yeah. <laughs> most, by the way, most people, call, most people call me Tap. It okay. keeps it simple. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say Tap to Please. There you go. And I, I was, I, seriously, I was practicing all morning and still yeah. screwed it up. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Tap spent his career obtaining the high score. He worked in the ever-evolving gaming industry, most recently at Zynga as a vice president. But the social gaming juggernaut has seen better days. It has declining revenue, weathered an IPO bust. Now, Tap is poised to take Picasa to the next level in a market that is fully dominated with competition, which raises a very interesting question. What exactly is the shelf life of an industry? With that, please give a warm welcome to TAP, CEO of Bitcasa. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. And uh, I just, I kind of want to actually start with the, the gaming industry. Yeah. And kind of take you back a little bit to working with Electronic Arts first, then Zenga. Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about your experience in that ever-evolving industry and how, how that industry has weathered continual competition? Yeah. Mm. So it, I think it's a hard one. Um, let's see. Well, first, I got, I got to start. I got a caveat that I'm off a plane back from Japan an hour ago. I'm, <laughs> I, fortunately, I did get some sleep, but if my brain is in a fog, it's, um, that's why. <laughs> and, and apparently not because we were celebrating way too late the, last the night. Release the release of last night, right? Congratulations <laughs> to you guys on that big release. It's exciting. Uh, so games is hard. Uh, games is hard because uh, it's a no matter how you want to uh, contort the business, no matter what you think you may be doing, you're, if you're in the games business, you're in the business of making hits, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, whether it's hits on console, whether it's hits on web, whether it's hits on Facebook, whether it's hits on mobile, you know, a company is going to be successful or not successful if it can make hits. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back in the day of, back in the day of retail distribution, uh, you know, the reason that, that EA sort of won that first round uh, was they bet on the right platform, mm -hmm. which was Sega Genesis way back in the day. Raise your hand if you remember Sega Genesis. Yeah. Ah, an old crowd. I love it. Uh, Sega Genesis back in the day, and one, and two, as a result of that, we're able to build out, you know, kind of uh, um, the best retail distribution, mm -hmm. which was incredibly important because at that point, sort of shelf space makes sense. Well, then you get into the business of, and when I, you know, when I joined, I joined EA at an interesting time because uh, the company was was sort of anticipate, not not actually going through a transition, but anticipating a transition. Mm -hmm. To its credit, it squinted its eyes and it saw a future where, uh, you know, the importance of retail distribution was going to be eroding over time because the reality is that, uh, you know when you buy a game off the shelf of Walmart, you're just buying bits, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it was an interesting experience going from, you know, a, a more kind of virtual... You know, when I went to EA, I thought I was going to a technology company. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of wasn't. I went to a retail company. 
Um, all of the, at least on the business side, you know, you know, all of the business infrastructure was built around uh, retail distribution. And so the company at that time felt way more like Procter & Gamble than it did like Yahoo, right? right? And I'm talking vintage, you know, 99, 2000. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> a long time ago. A long time ago. So uh, because, you know, their business model was way more akin to, you know, selling Tide off the shelves of Walmart than it was to, you know, creating digital services. Um, and, you know, what happened to be inside that box was not laundry detergent. It was games, which made for a very kind of creative and idiosyncratic culture. But at the end of the day, like, it was a CPG company. And I joined EA, when I joined EA, it, it was anticipating this, look, these bits are going to be developed, are going to be distributed not on, you know, hard disks and boxes on Walmart, but, you know, through the network. And so, you know, that's been the pain that EA has had to endure you know, I was there in 2003 for the last 10 years is figuring out that transition. Um, and all of that, you know, that's abstracted away from where I started, right? That's mm-hmm. all of the business concerns. Um, the reality is that, you know, even if you're able to crack that code, you still have to make great games. And this is right. what we saw with Zynga, right? Is, right. you know, what ended up happening was, uh, I'll say a couple things. One is, for all... For all of Zynga's warts, and as easy it is to kind of beat up the company, mm-hmm. like we can't lose sight of the fact that one, the company's six years old, and it's created, you know, three billion dollars in market value. Like that, in and of itself, is pretty extraordinary. Um, so, you know, what we shouldn't do is we we talk about everything that's wrong with Zynga is lose sight of the fact that there's an incredible amount that was right with Zynga. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what ended up happening, I think, is or part of one of the part of the challenges uh, in expanding the business was, you you know, the company creates Farmville. Mm-hmm. Farmville has a hundred million in its peak, a hundred million daily users, a hundred million daily users. Right, that's a remarkable percentage of the known universe using this game every single day, um, for better or for worse, uh, and then sort of not unlike EA, kind of fell in love a little bit with its distribution platform, right? Mm-hmm. And the analogies are, with EA, it was shelf space at Best Buy and Walmart. With, uh, with Zynga, it was the number of active users, its network, mm-hmm. you know, on the Facebook platform. Uh, and, you know, the trap you can fall into is focusing more of your business on or for, in the games industry, the trap you can fall into is focusing more of your efforts around um, trying to optimize around your business reality and forgetting your creative reality, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in both cases, one could probably argue, you know, all the effort and resources and and uh, that were dedicated towards trying not to be in the hits-driven game business mm-hmm. was a distraction from being successful as a hits-driven game company, making great games, mm-hmm. right? So all of the publishing stuff, all of the business, you know, if all of that time and energy was spent just making another great game, mm-hmm. the, you know, each of the companies probably would over time be more successful than it was. Right. So, you, so you're saying that in, in, in that likelihood is that there was some disconnect between long-term planning and actual making great stuff. For end users. Yeah, I th- it's even a little less abstract than that. I think it was more about we're 
you know, oh my God, you know, the, the thought process is we've got a hit game. Oh my God, everybody knows that being in a hits driven business is a terrible business to be in. So what do we have to do to not be in that business? And then trying to contort your organization and your functions to try to not be in the hits driven game mm -hmm. business. But, you know, you end up in this weird place of denial where you're, you're not, you, you lose sight of the fact that, oh yeah, that's right, our business is actually, we're right. a hits driven game business. So, taking that, you kind of touched on it, just taking a little further, what was it exactly that Zynga got right? What is it also that they exactly got wrong with this? Oh. <laughs> That's a sort of wonderfully unfair question. <laughs> um, because it's, it's, you know, it's a multivariable equation. It's really tough to say, like, look, here's the one thing that went right, and here's right. the one thing that went wrong. You know, what Zynga did do uh, well, and though arguably it got perverted over time, is it created this new social construct, right? right? Or even if it didn't create it, it certainly optimized it, which is, uh, you know, Zynga's mission statement from the beginning was always connecting the world through social games. And, you know, they did... Um, they did do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, arguably over time they uh, focused too much on the connecting the world and not enough on the social games. Mm -hmm. You know, to the detriment of not just the game players' experience, but um, but all of us who had Facebook feeds that were being polluted by <laughs> all of the Zynga game you know spam that was going out there. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, so what did they do right? You know, they identified this incredibly powerful new distribution platform for games and uh, you know Mark Pincus uh, is the single best entrepreneur I've ever been around and had the, the pleasure to work with in his ability to identify an opportunity and then mercilessly go after that opportunity um, and that's what he did he saw this opportunity initially around Zynga Poker and then it evolved into sort of the, the Farmville style games and just mm -hmm. drove execution you know, to or this remarkable extent. Like, that's all the things that I, that, that's, I'd say those are the two things that it did right, right? right. It identified this opportunity and it really got after it. Um, oh, the things it did wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, again, I think, back to what we were just talking about, I think the company lost in, um, I'll say two things. The company lost sight of the fact that it was in the business of making fun games. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, having said that, uh, again, it's it's easy, particularly from the outside, uh, to to kind of cast stones and and cast judgment. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, I remember a meeting I was in, and we were talking about expanding into China, uh, which is you know huge, but it was. Uh, you know, huge because Facebook is a big. It, China is its own ecosystem. It's got its own set of social networks there, and Facebook, you know, it doesn't really exist. Uh, so, um, and I remember being really frustrated with the discussion because I was in charge of international business and operations, and this was a big beta bet. And you know, at the highest level, my argument to Mark and the board was, look, you know, there aren't. We're we're talking about all these things that are kind of going to create incremental opportunity. You know, this is one of the few things out there that could literally, you know, double our business. Um, there's a lot of risk associated, yes, but, you know, this is one of the few high alpha opportunities available out there. And what do we have to lose? We're going to lose $100 million. Who cares? 
Um, but that's really where we were. We're going to lose $100 million. Who cares? Because this was a two-and-a-half-year-old company that was 500 people and on a $500 million run rate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a lot to ask of, you know, think about the organizations that you guys have worked in. You know, when it's two years old, Bitcasa is two years old right now, and we're, you know, 50 people. Zurb is 15 years old, and you're 30 people. Right? This is a company that is two years old, is 500 people, and is scraping hundreds of millions of dollars off the table uh, doing this one thing uh, at these incredible net margins mm-hmm. to then come in and say, I, I liken it, this is my crass analogy, and people who work at Bitcasa will start shaking their heads. And, uh, is it, you know, I liken Bitcasa at that point to a heroin addict, right? And this heroin addict, like, its first, its first hit of heroin was, like, this, the, the most perfect, blackest, tarest heroin available, right? It's this, it's this Facebook, Farmville, hundreds of millions of dollars at 80% net margins. Like, it doesn't get any better than this. And then you've got a lot of people like me wandering into the boardroom being like, hey, I got this methadone you should try out, right? <laughs> I mean, like, what the hell am I going to bother with that for? Like, look at me. Do you see all this money I'm scraping off the table? Why would I do these other things? So, you know, it's easy when people say, okay, well, what, what would you have done differently if you were Mark Pickus? And, or what would you do now if you were CEO? My answer is I would get in a time machine and I would go back to that point in time where, you know, we had identified all the right kind of strategic mm-hmm. opportunities out there, uh, but you know, ended up not following them because you know we were we were happy with the the black tar we were we were <laughs> we were using at that point. It's it's hard to break that habit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's uh, I think that's one of the harder ones to break. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's a spot on analogy. Yeah. Um, was it was it not was it just the 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 heroin the the, the easy win there? <laughs> it's a good analogy. I'm going to keep using it. Uh, uh, or was it this aversion to taking a risk and trying to get into some other niche that could further get them? No, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was. It was absolutely not aversion to risk. It uh, it was. Um, <clears throat> it was way more calculated than that, right? Mm-hmm. It, because it was. Um, you know. Uh, Zynga, part and parcel of Zynga losing sight of making fun games was, you know, I've never been in such a sort of data and analytics-driven company. Mm-hmm. Um, arguably, you know, Zynga was that to a fault, particularly early mm-hmm. on, where, um, you know, everything was sort of evaluated on a short-term ROI basis. So, you know, it was less about, hey, we're averse to risk. It was way more kind of analytical than that. It was, mm-hmm. okay, well, what do we think the projected ROI is on this next $100 million? And I remember Mark Pinkus saying to me when we were talking about China, well, I could take that $100 million and make 10 more city bills, and you know, we'd be a multi-billion dollar company. Not bad logic, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of presumption based in, you know, baked mm-hmm. into that, which is people want another 10 city bills, and mm-hmm. you're going to continue moving up and to the right at the same mm-hmm. pace. Um, but again, you know, good Lord, I, a two-year-old company doing as well as it did, a lot to ask mm-hmm. to have the perspective to be able to mm-hmm. step back and say, oh, yeah, we need to be thinking more strategically. Right, right. And, and, and how has that kind of carried over those lessons or those things you look at from that industry carried over to now that you're, you know, heading up Bitcasa uh, and, you know, you're growing quickly? I mean, you just came back from Japan today. Yeah, third time in four weeks. So 
I don't recommend that. <laughs> I mean, can you can you can you, can it go into how do you compete? How do you be strategic? How do you avoid some of these pitfalls that have you've seen in, in like the gaming industry? Yeah. In this this market that's really dominated by like the two boxes. Yeah. Well, and and this is where the analogy sort of breaks down, right? I. I I, you know, I wish for all of us at Bitcasa that we had the problems that Zynga had, right? Um, and when people say, well, you know, what do you think about Dropbox? I, I sort of I preface whatever I may say by, just to be clear, I wish I had Dropbox's problems. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, from, from my perspective, uh, I think there's a, there's a tension that exists in any industry that's kind of emerging, right? And whether it was console games or social games or, or cloud storage, uh, which is the tension between satisfying kind of the short-term market requirements, mm-hmm. so, hey, this is what people want, and staying true to kind of your mission and your vision and what you're trying to accomplish over the long haul. Uh, what wakes me up in the middle of the night today is... You know this uh, this market dynamic that's currently set up, which is you know they're they're we're swimming in a lake with some very large and very well capitalized sharks. Um, beyond Dropbox and Box, you've got Google, Apple, and Microsoft with collectively a trillion dollars in market cap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> what gets me back to sleep uh, is a couple things. One is uh, I truly believe we have the best product that's available in the market today. I'm not sure I could have said that six months ago, but I think we can say that today. Um, why, why not six months ago? Well, because we're young. I mean, this is, Bitcasa is, you know, Google, Apple, and, and Microsoft obviously have been around forever and a day. Uh, Dropbox and Box are five and 10 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. You know, is a two-year-old company, and our product's been out since February. So, you know, we're relatively kind of babes in the lake, babes in the woods. Uh, sorry, my... I'll, I'll mix metaphors all day. Um, so just go back to the heroin. That, that that's the yeah, metaphor that yeah, resonates. I'm, I'm best with vice-related metaphors, so I'll stick that. The so the um, so we're relatively new to the market, right? Well, I think we have a fundamentally different way in which we're looking at cloud storage and cloud storage going forward. Uh, but um, you know what? I've said this to the team before, so hopefully they won't get mad at me. You know, I think what 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 got pushed out predating me in February at our official public launch was probably a 0.6 or a 0.7. It probably mm-hmm. wasn't ready for, for the, mar- the, you know, and, and we did a, a, a release about a month ago that I feel like was our one, I should say two months ago, that I feel like was our 1.0, really. Mm-hmm. And an enormous push, much praise to the team this week, uh, which was called internally Death Star March. Um, <laughs> Death Star Run, sorry. <laughs> yeah, there was no marching in Star Wars. Anyway, so, and, you know, I think we've, in an incredibly, you were saying before, we were talking about your push, mm-hmm. where, you know, you got to, what was it, 4.0? Gary. And now we're at 5.0. Yeah. Right, and you, how long, it took you, how long to get to 4.0, and then, you were saying something about Oh, relatively fast. Like yeah. So, like, uh, Foundation 4 came out earlier this year, so maybe... 
know, six, eight months. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really exciting, right? Those are, those are when you start seeing a company that's accelerating its, its uh, development timelines mm-hmm. and compressing, you know, point releases down to, you know, months, not quarters, not years, like mm-hmm. that's an amazing moment in time for a company. And so, you know, couldn't be prouder because I think what, you know, we went, it took us, you know, from February to, you know, a couple months ago to get from, you know, a 0.7 to a 1.0. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I probably can't call this a 2. I probably wouldn't call this a 2.0. I probably call this a 1.5, but we'll be to a 2.0 by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And you, so you start, start to see these development timelines and these product releases getting really accelerated. It gets exciting. Um, I've, di- I've digressed. Your question was, uh, <laughs> so what wakes me up in the middle of the night is these trillions of dollars in market cap. Uh, what what gets me back to sleep is the two things. One is, you know, remarkable product that's improving at a phenomenal pace. Uh, and two um, is that this is, you know, cloud storage, uh, the, the promise of, of social games, the notion of around social games was, oh, okay, well, it's not just social games is taking, you know, a piece of the traditional gaming pie. It's making the pie much, much bigger. So it's bringing games to a whole new you know, universe of people, and I think that's true. Uh, cloud storage is that, like, on, like, just remarkable, like, human growth hormone PEDs. Oh, I'm back to drugs again. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's um, it is, you know, what gets me back to sleep is, you know, there are battles that are being kind of fought and arguably won today, mm-hmm. Um you know, but we're not. This isn't a. This isn't a six to twelve month war, right? This is a six to twelve year war, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't a. Uh, you know, a a market with a potential of of one or five billion dollar market potential. We're literally talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. You know that uh, in market value that's going to be created over the next twenty years. Um, as we head towards this inevitable future of zero local storage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was I had an interesting conversation with uh, you know a couple of the big uh, mobile service providers in Japan. And for those of you who have traveled to Tokyo, you know, God, you, I, you, I have such mobile envy when I get there, right? Because you get off the plane and. You know, nobody. It seems like nobody uses computers, right? It's it's and it's barely tablets. Like it used to be feature phones, now it's smartphones. Um, but their infrastructure is so well developed, and you know the people, um, the way in which uh, people interact with their digital belongings and with their digital experiences all through mobile devices, because it can be. Um, you know, you think about, and so Japan is. Is really a future, and one of the things I'm particularly excited about at Bicasa is our, you know, we launched in Japan two months ago, and what does that mean? That means we localized in Japanese and we held a press event. Um, <laughs> well, Japan went from like three or four or five percent of our business to now over a quarter of our business, mm-hmm. um, and I spent a lot of time in my career trying to do business in Japan, and most of the time, as a Western company, you fail, and unfortunately, you're never quite sure why you failed. Um, <laughs> And every once in a while, once in a great while, you a, a company is able to succeed. But equally, like you're never quite sure why you're succeeding. <laughs> um, I have a I have a theory though, um, which which is that you know, Bicasa. I talked a little bit about how we think about the world fundamentally differently. You know, 
Bitcasa is not about, we don't think about sync, we don't think about share. Our fundamental value proposition is around storage, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really about, um, you know, creating, replicating that hard drive experience in the cloud. Well, what does that mean? It means it needs to be safe and secure. Mm-hmm. It needs to be very, very large at a very, very low price. And it needs to be incredibly accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, and, and Tony Gouda, our founder, you know, I think he was very much thinking about where the puck was moving rather than where the puck is today, right? Mm-hmm. So the battles that are being fought in the corner against the boards, you know, for the puck today, I'm less worried about because, you know, what I see is a future where devices get smaller and smaller and smaller, local storage gets to a point where it literally evaporates. You think about wearable devices, where's all that data going to land? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's this, you know, there's this four-dimensional graph that, you know, is some combination of, um, you know, size of device going down. Stick with me here. Size of device going down, uh, amount of data created going up, mm-hmm. speed of data networks going up, cost of data networks going down, which, and all of those, you know, are on the right trajectory, which leads to a future where everything's happening on devices like this mm-hmm. and even smaller, and there's, you know, little to no actual local storage. Well, you start envisioning that future, and that fries your brain, right? Because now you're not like, where is all that stuff going? And where is it living? Well, it's all going somewhere, and it's all going to be, it all needs to be accessible everywhere. So again, this is, this is what gets me back to sleep. Like, good product, I think, thinking, anticipating where the puck's going to mm-hmm. be in what's going to be, you know, a hundreds of billions of dollars opportunity, not... And, you know, the battles that are being won today aren't defining, you know... And, oh, by the way, in, in such a market dynamic, there will be no single winner. You know, it's not the, these sort of network effects that apply on things like social platforms, like don't apply here. It's, there's fundamentally different dynamics going on. Um, so, and, and speaking of that future and that long term and having now gone to 1.5, mm. you've also kind of changed your pricing dynamic instead of like for infinite 99 a year it yeah. was and now it's now uh, shot up to uh, 999 a year. Yeah. What was the decision making in kind of changing that pricing plan and now who are you targeting? Yeah. Does does the consumer change for you guys, or who are you now tar- targeting for that long term six six to twelve year war? Yeah. Uh, so I'll say a couple of that. I think that one is um, we. What, there was a lot of so we released new pricing and what happened was we used to offer ten bucks a month for infinite storage and now it's ten dollars a month you can get a terabyte. Which by the way, you know what we did. You know, we launched in February, and, uh, you know, Infinite was sort of this, our sole kind of unique value proposition that we were going out with. Um, Because, uh, you know, the company very much thought uh, that this is what what consumers wanted, right? Which is, you know, there are a handful of things that, if you imagine this world where your hard drive lives in the cloud, are your requirements, right? One is it's very private and secure because it's yours and not anybody else's, right? One, two is that uh, because it's cloud-based and it's not hardware-based, it should be infinitely flexible. Um, and the last is it should be infinitely accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we learned, we've learned a lot in the first eight months. And one of the things we learned is that 
people don't not, people don't want infinite. People don't need infinite. In fact, oftentimes, particularly when we start talking to partners, people get confused by the idea. Like infinite, well, what the hell does that mean? Um, we there was one device manufacturer we're talking about potentially doing a deal with, and they're uh, and they're legal. You know, they're based in Asia, and um, so there was also this sort of language um, challenge as well. But you know, their legal group kept coming back and pushing on. Okay, but infinite. Can you actually do it? Like, what if somebody actually wants infinite storage? What does that look like? And we started getting into this very sort of abstract existential discussion about, like, how you define infinite. And <laughs> but there was a lot of that. There was as much sort of market confusion as there was, you know, excitement. Um, you know what? And the like any good small startup company who mm-hmm. released a product eight months ago, you know, we're looking at the data that we've got and we're reacting accordingly. Mm-hmm. And the data that we've got says that. 99% of our users are using less than 5 terabytes of data. Mm-hmm. 95, I think, 94, 95% of our users are using less than 1 terabyte of data. So whereas sort of the initial, what we assumed to be the initial value proposition was you got all the storage in the world, what the market has told us in our first nine months is, one, we don't need infinite. Um, two, and maybe in some cases we don't want infinite. Uh, two is uh, what... We're as concerned, if not more concerned, about some of these other components mm-hmm. of your service as we are about the amount of storage you're going to provide me, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the, it's in direct contrast to some of the other kind of cloud storage guys that are out there. You know, people are very excited about what we're doing with privacy and security, mm-hmm. end-to-end client-side encryption, user owns the key. I've got, you know, billions and billions of blocks of data that I'm storing mm-hmm. that we can't, I have no idea what's there, right? Because, and I shouldn't, because this is your hard drive in the cloud. Like, and you should know what it is. I shouldn't know what it is. And you should be able to do with it what you want. I shouldn't tell you what you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, our value proposition is not, I wouldn't say it's really changing. It's just evolving. It's evolving to what the market is asking for. And so what you're going to see going forward is much more focus on you know, the privacy and security. Still a ton of storage for the, for the lowest price you can get there in the market. Mm-hmm. You know, we're... A tenth, we're still a tenth the cost of most of the other competitive services that are out there. Um, and last is that accessibility. Um, and then soon to come, which I'm, I'm really excited about. I, I, I think more so than anybody in the company, I've, I've had to, you know, we, we totally by accident, 75% of our users are outside the United States. Mm-hmm. And you go outside the U- United States, um, and 25% of them are in Japan, which is wonderful. Uh, you know, you go outside the United States, and it's a it's a very different universe than it is uh, here in the U.S. And so, you know, there's even concern about like, all right, well, where is my data living? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the next few weeks, we're changing our architecture such that, you know, our architecture as it currently exists with all the data sitting in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is now going to be distributed. So, unique data in APAC is going to stay in APAC. Unique data in the EU is going to stay in the EU, and unique data in North America is going to stay. Well, you know, you or I might stretch and kind of yawn and say, well, does it really matter? It you know you talk to your average person in uh, in Japan or Germany or France or the Middle East and it matters a lot. Right. So. Uh, and, and speaking, of, it seems like seventy percent you said outside seventy five seventy five uh, is, is that kind of like one of the reasons for growing outside of the Absolutely. United States because you know like with everything we do kind of in the valley everything gets scrutinized. You guys just got eleven million in funding yeah. and so and actually brings out like the naysayers of the critics and one critic 
in, in one of the comment threads of one of the blog posts announcing that, did say, like, I'm not surprised to see that their CEO was replaced and they're looking elsewhere for customers since the U.S. and European customers clearly don't like their product and Dropbox has dominated in those markets. What do you kind of say to that kind of criticism and, and how do you project? Because I know you write on the blog a lot and you mm. project a lot of what you guys are doing. So yeah. kind of get your insights onto how you respond to that criticism and especially since 75% of your market is outside the U.S. Yeah, well... Uh... I'll say at least three things and probably think of another. Um, <laughs> one is one is I think that the the presumption that sort of again back to the this is a twenty year war and <clears throat> hundreds of billions of dollars at stake. You know, it's it is it is a um, it is a very short it is very short sighted perspective to say things like well the U S market's already like that's baked like that's right. gone right um, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's not true. Two is that um, you know the, the diversity of kind of requirements that people have, uh, you know, varies wildly, right? Even on the consumer side, forget about it. we haven't we haven't even gotten into kind of you start talking about small and medium businesses in the enterprise, mm-hmm. um, but the what people want um, varies pretty wildly, and you know there are a lot of people who want the ability to sync files across all their devices. Uh, I do too. Like that's a cool feature. But I also don't. I also have a need not to hog up the space on all my devices, and so, you know, I want a place to a repository to put stuff, and then be able to access and share and collaborate, you know, mm-hmm. in that way. And so, you know, one the, the battle isn't fought and won. And and by the way, we work very well alongside all of those services, right? Mm-hmm. In many many ways, we're col- we're complementary, not competitive. Um, and I think two is I think uh, I think that you know. I will confess that I think what we're building isn't optimized for today in the U.S. I think what we're building right now is optimized for a not-too-distant future in the U.S. And this gets back to our success in Japan. I see that as a leading indicator, right? I said that we have mobile envy when we go to Japan. I think that's absolutely true and the, because the reality is that their infrastructure is better built out. They all access their their and create content through mobile devices, uh, and there's a ton of that being generated. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that as a great leading indicator for, for you know, Bitcast has optimized for the future and Japan is the future, right? I see that as an amazing leading indicator for our future success in a lot of these other markets. Um, and again, we haven't, we haven't targeted international. You know, I think it's, a, it, and the, so that's the last thing I'll say, which is I think it's, um, I think it's a testament to how the non-U.S. market requirements are not being met right now. Mm. Um, and I'm, Great with that. I love the rest of the world. It's there's a lot of people and a lot of money out there, <laughs> especially in China and Japan. <laughs> especially in China and Japan. Awesome, very good. I want to actually thank you for answering all of my questions. I want to give the audience a chance to ask you any questions in the last five or so minutes that we have. So I want to open up to the audience. Who wants to go first? Uh, that's a so Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a name from what do you mean? A name from? A, yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a really good question, and it's a easy one for me to answer um, because you're you're actually this is an exercise we literally have gone through in the last month, which is all right, Bitcoin. What the hell does what does that mean? And and does it? 
does it kind of accurately reflect uh, you know what we're trying to accomplish? And um, you know when when I came on, uh, you know what the the pricing change, the product developments that we've made. And oh, by the way, that was the other thing I want to say. There was a lot of noise about the the pricing changes. What what got lost in some of that noise was like really remarkable advances that happened in the product. But all of those advances were really reflecting um, this whole notion of home, right? And uh, you know, there was there's a lot of affinity for the brand, especially you know the the, the house sitting in the clouds. I'm not sure how I feel about the green color, but a lot of people really love it. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I got to I got to pick my battles. So the but uh, but I'm not you know I think quite frankly that that focusing on infinite. Uh, kind of exclusively, uh, you know, kind of did the brand a disservice ultimately because, you know, what we're going to see going forward is a lot of a lot of, you know, we we think about your digital belongings, right? We think about, you know, Bitcasa as the safe place to keep and distribute your stuff. Like not unlike like this needs to be your digital home, right? This needs to be the place where not just you can keep everything and feel safe, but then. You can do with it what you please, right? And you can invite people in who you want, and you can take stuff out when you want. And um, you know, I think it's a, I think it, it dovetails incredibly nicely with, you know, what we see the future of cloud storage being, which is not about just sync or share. It's about your digital home. I think there's, and I think there's, you know, the, there's a real crisis in cloud storage right now. I think, and the crisis is that. Uh, I think the industry, and I think Bitcasa has 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 been at risk of falling into this trap, um, has lost sight of the fact that, you know, we spend so much time thinking about, you know, hardware and transit and puts and gets and you know all this, and, and even the the language that we use, you know, cloud storage and data is so abstracted from the fact that what we're really talking about is you and your stuff, right? Your digital belongings, like. That are incredibly important to you. Like these are the most important things in the world to you. They're your pictures, your videos, your financial documents, for God's sakes, right? And it's yours. It's not Google's to sell ads against. It's not Apple's to keep in their little ecosystem. Uh, it's not Dropbox's to look at and do whatever it is they're doing with it. It's not you know the NSA is to spy on. It's yours, right? And when you start looking, when you kind of get to the intersection of that set of assumptions with uh, with this future of you know the 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 lack of the the ultimate disappearance of local storage like this is this is serious stuff um, and so that's why I feel really like you know again that's why I don't get too spun up on you know who's got hundreds of millions of users right now and because this is a long long uh, horizon we're talking about. You mentioned fifty five percent of your business currently is outside of the United States. Are you looking at the market for local partners? Have you selected areas that you see that have intrinsic value to those markets? Uh, you know, it varies market by market. Uh, the you know there are a lot of so um, the, yes. 
<laughs> no, it's it's incredible. Emerging markets are incredibly important. You know, the 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 the. So I talked about. I won't repeat it, but remember those those four lines on the graph that inevitably end up at a place where there is no such thing as local storage anymore. So different areas of the world, like you can plot different areas of the world on that graph, right? And um, you know, Japan is way out in front of that graph, right? Sort of, it's the closest to that reality that currently exists. I would put Korea out there too. Um, you know, the United States is definitely towards that end of the spectrum, and then you have, you know, Sierra Leone is probably at the other end of the spectrum, right? So, you should anticipate that we're having lots of conversations, and both with partners and consumers in places at that end of the graph and relatively fewer conversations at the other end. That's sort of how we're thinking about it. Yeah. It feels it feels gluttonous when you think about it that way, doesn't yeah. it? It's almost like, oh yeah, I can just put this everywhere. Yeah. It's a really good question. So, you know, I think about this upside down triangle, right? And uh, the line, the, I, I think about, the way I think about it is there's this line. And you're asking, all right, well, where, where is that line along the axis of this upside-down triangle? At the very bottom of the triangle is my mom, right, who's <laughs> 75 years old. She has, uh, you know, she still has a tower computer, and she uses AOL for her email, right? <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't care, okay? At the other end of the spectrum, you know, you have really large institutions, and whether that's, you know, Procter & Gamble looking to deploy cloud storage across its enterprise, or companies like, you know, Yahoo that have, that have you know, huge web audiences that they want to be able to provide cloud storage services to, or it's someone like, particularly acute, someone like, you know, Samsung, who, you know, has mobile devices that, you know, have this problem, um, you know, the top of that inverted triangle is acutely aware of it. Um, and the speed with which, you know, and, and I started talking to Bitcasa, I only joined three months ago, but I started talking to him about nine months ago. You know, even in that period of time, the speed with which that, that line has come kind of crashing down the triangle has been way faster than I would have anticipated. Um, you know, for better or for worse, accelerated from things like the PRISM scandal, um, you know, for better or for worse, accelerated by things like, you know, uh, employees at competitors who may or may not be looking at people's files. Um, you know, so that uh, I think there are there are more people aware of the story than I think I would have anticipated. Very good. One last question, I think, is what we have time for. Yes. Getting back on topic here, what would you say would be some key indicators that you're coming up on the shelf life of your product? And when you find that you're coming up on the shelf life, 
how do you decide whether you should sunset the product off or try to change it or pivot the, the product on into something new? Hmm. Couple things. Are you a journalist? No. Um, <laughs> product manager. You're just a very serious. Oh, product manager. It's, yeah. Even more serious. Um, <laughs> I'm a former journalist. <laughs> no. So am I. That's why I, I can usually tell. Um, and apologies if we were off topic. Uh, can you repeat the question? <laughs> yeah, Come on, man. I'm off, a, I'm off a plane from Japan. <laughs> uh, what, what would, uh, the start of the question is, uh, what would be your kind of key indicators that you're coming up on the, the, the shelf life of your product? Mm. And when you figure out that, oh, this product's coming up on its shelf life, what, how do you make that decision whether you should sunset that product off or try to change or pivot the product to something new? Yeah. Hmm. I th so, I think I think that's a. Let me. I it's it's a hard, the reason I'm struggling is I, there are two different answers to that question. There's two different answers based on, from my personal experience. You know, I would answer that question very differently if I were at Zynga, where you have a set of sort of discrete products with relatively short lifespans, and when you're at Bitcasa, which is you know this product that has a shelf life, a service rather that has a shelf life of infinity, right? Um, so, you know, in a universe where you have this discrete set, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to look at metrics and see what, you know, how everything is trending and what you should be doing with those users. Um, in, uh, in, a, in a situation like, like Bitcasa where, you know, you're providing a service that, that, you know, people want, people don't want to not, have their stuff stored anymore, right? so it's 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 going to be there forever. You, it's a much more granular process, right? You're looking at the feature level stuff, and you're saying, okay, well, you know, where where are people seeing value, where are people not seeing value, and things that you're not seeing value on, you need to be sunsetting that because, you know, as a product manager, right, your commodity is your engineering resources, and um, you know, this speaks to specific. This also speaks specifically to the pricing change, which is we had a choice to make, right, which is. Are we going to spend these incredibly valuable engineering cycles on, you know, the one percent of our users that need somewhere near infinite storage, or are we going to spend, you know, if I had one percent of my engineering resources working on that one percent of features, that would be great. Uh, the problem is that I had way more than one percent of my engineers working on the features for that one percent. So you sort of have to adjust accordingly. Is that a is that a vague enough answer to your question? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Very good. Well, thank you, Tap. I appreciate you coming down. Thank you. Answering our questions.